In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. Our Bible study tonight, Psalm 100. This psalm is titled, A Psalm of Thanksgiving, and it is the only psalm that bears this title. According to the Septuagint and to the Coptic version, it came as a psalm of David about confession. Confession means to confess that the Lord is God, to confess that the Lord is the Messiah. That's confession, different than confession of our sins. And also according to St. Augustine, a psalm of confession. St. Augustine comments on the title and says, the title of this psalm is a psalm of confession. The verses are few, five verses only. Although they are few, but they are big with great subjects. May the seed bring forth within your hearts, the barn be prepared for the Lord's harvest. So this psalm also very few verses, but it is great in its meaning. And when we memorize it and keep it in our heart, it will bring thanksgiving, joy, worship, praise to the Lord. Psalm 100 is supposed to have been used when peace offering for thanksgiving were offered up. You know there are five offerings. One of them is peace offering. Peace, the people used to offer it in thanksgiving and gratitude to God. So when they used to offer this peace offering, they used to chant Psalm 100. Also it has been used in the daily service of the synagogue, except upon certain festivals. This psalm speaks of an invitation to the whole earth, not only to the Israelites, but to the whole earth to know God and to worship Him. Also, it is a messianic psalm, speaks about the Messiah, calling humanity to experience the joy in the gospel of Christ. When they believe in Him, they will be joyful. The joy of the Lord will fill their hearts. So the scope of the psalm is to exhort the Gentiles because it is calling for the whole earth, not to Israel. So exhorting the Gentiles to praise the Messiah, to serve him, to worship him. Why? As verse 5 said, considering his goodness, his mercy, his truth, and his faithfulness. Verse 1, 2, and 4 of the psalm are an echo of Psalm 95, verse 1 and 2. Verse 3 is an echo of Psalm 95, verse 7. As I told you, it's a short psalm, five verses. But these five verses roar with praise, using a series of imperative verbs. Verse 1, shout. Verse 2, serve. Verse 4, enter. Verse 4, praise. Verse 4, bless. So you can see here, there are commandments to shout, to serve, to enter, to praise, to, to serve, to bless the Lord. So taken together, these commandments compel the congregation to participate in a high liturgical singing, in grand procession into God's temple, to enter into the courts of the Lord. Why? There is a good reason 
that many sing this psalm very frequently because it is very proper to express and to kindle reverent and devout affections toward God in our approach to Him in prayer and worship. That's why I know many people memorize this psalm because it's a short psalm and powerful psalm. They pray it when they come to the church. They pray it when they enter into the church. According to Eusebius of Caesarea, this psalm is the calling of the Gentiles because the whole earth. And according to St. Athanasius, it is a psalm of rejoicing, psalm of joy. The outline, verse 1 and 2, all nations are exhorted to praise the Lord. Verse 3, why? Because he is our creator and our shepherd. Verse 4 and 5, the what and why of giving thanks. Why are you giving thanks? And what type of things? So let's read it. Make a joyful shout to the Lord, all you lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who has made us and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Be thankful to him and bless his name. For the Lord is good, his mercy is everlasting, and his truth endures to all generations. Before we start commenting on each verse, just I want to make a quick reflection. When we come to the church, what is our attitude? Do we come feeling it's a burden? Oh, I'm going to stay two, three hours in the church, so let me come just in the last 30 minutes or last 45 minutes. Am I distracted? What kind of emotions do I have when I come to the church? Listen to verse 4. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving and to in his courts with praise. Be thankful to him and bless him. Do we come to the church with joy? See verse 2. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. So when we come to the church or when I pray the Agbaya in my inner room, in what way do I feel it is burden or I am joyful? Singing to the Lord with gladness and to come to his presence with singing. So verse 1, make a joyful shout to the Lord all you lands. So unlike the several previous psalms, Psalm 100 does not begin with a declaration of God's sovereignty or character. For example, all the previous psalms, Psalm 97, 98, 99, start first by declaring the sovereignty of the Lord. The Lord has reigned. So, But here, it didn't start this way. But it begins with a simple and direct exhortation to all the lands of the earth. What is this direct exhortation? To praise the Lord with a joyful shout. And this sets the tone for the psalm. Praise the Lord with a joyful shout. And according to St. Augustine, shouting here is not uttering bare words. 
We can sing and, and, and shout. No, it's not just uttering bare words. But it is an expression by a kind of mind filled with an abundance of joy and feelings of gladness with no limit. In order to understand what St. Augustine is saying, when you hear a very joyful news, sometimes we just shout of joy. That's our normal reaction. So when our mind and heart is filled with the abundance of joy for all what God has done to us, then when we stand before him, we will worship him and will shout with a joyful shout. So this is a call to cheerfulness and rejoicing, to the kind of energetic praise that grows within the heart to the point that it can no longer be contained. That's why it's expressed in shouting. So this joy inside the heart cannot be contained. So it's expressed in shouting. This is a call to the nations extending far beyond Israel borders to all the lands, not to Israel. All are invited because the psalm is based on the unity of the human race, on the fact that there is one God and Father of all. And all of us, if we believe in Christ, will be united in Christ and all of us will be children to God the Father. What is it that demands such rejoicing? Why should the whole earth be called to exaltation and gladness? If you think about just the incarnation and the salvation, all of us were condemned. All of us were under the sentence of death. So when we think that God chose to humble himself, to become the meek shepherd, to gather all of us in his mercy, not because we deserve it, but because in his mercy and his love, he chose to save us, us, the wandering nations, the straying people, the tribes scattered far as the lost sheep. He want to gather all of us as one fold, as Christ cries out, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. That's why in verse three, he spoke, we are his people and the sheep of his passion. So the whole earth is invited to serve the Lord. Those who serve the Lord should do it with gladness. God calls upon humanity to worship him, not out of duty, we are committed to do, but to enjoy his presence with our hearts filled with joy. When I come to the church, it's not duty. It's not obligation. It's not because Abuna told me I want to see you in the church. Because I'm afraid to go to hell, that's why I'm coming to worship him. But I'm coming here because in gratefulness, in thanksgiving to God who saved me. So I'm coming here with a cheerfulness to worship him. He is our Lord. Therefore, he is to be served. But he is not only our Lord, but he is our gracious Lord. Therefore, he has to be served with 
joy. True worship brings joy to the heart. That's why in verse 2 he said, Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. And here actually there is something beautiful. I come here with joy. And the more I worship, the more joyful I'll be. So come to his presence, to his throne with thankfulness for all the received mercies. Worship with singing psalms, hymns, spiritual songs. That's why singing in the church is a very important element. Some people wonder why we, we sing these long hymns. But if you think about it, music gives more meaning and more joy to the words. Even in secular songs, if you listen to the words of any song, secular songs, it will not affect you as much as if they are sung. And sometimes there is a long music before the song starts. This music prepares the heart. And our singing is just like a music. And when actually we feel this cheerfulness and gladness in our heart, the hymns in the church will make me more happy, more joyful. St. Augustine says, all service is full of bitterness. Service of the world, if we are slaves to any masters, so all service is full of bitterness. All who are tied down to a servile condition serve and murmur. Be not afraid that God's service will be such, will be similar. No. There will be in it no sighing, no mourning, no wrath. None will ask to be sold from sense. For it is sweet to know that we are all ransomed. You know, in slavery, a master can sell his servant. But for us, God purchased us. God ransomed us. It is great happiness to be a servant in that house, even if tied. The Lord's service is free because not necessity, but love serves their end. For you, brethren, have been called to liberty. Only don't use liberty as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. So when we serve the Lord, although we are his bond servant, but in reality, we will enjoy the freedom. We will enjoy our freedom in Christ. Verse 3. Know that the Lord he is God. It is He who has made us and not we ourselves. We are His people and the sheep of His pasture. Usually, when we read the word Lord, it refers to the Son, to the Messiah, not to the Father. So here, as if He is saying, know that the Son, the Messiah, Christ, He is God. It is He, Christ, who has made us 
and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. The praise that comes to God from his people and all lands should be mindful. Why? Why we praise him? Why I'm joyful? We have many reasons to worship the Lord. The reasons begin with the recognition that the Lord is God. Know that the Lord is God. The only living and true God. Because any other called God are false, are vanity. They have no claim to worship. But God is the creator of all. Above all, the psalmist asserts a complete belonging to God. He who has made us. So there is here a relationship. God in relationship with us. An affirmation full of both pride and humility. Pride because we are his children. And humility because the people are presented as his sheep. So we know who we are. So we, we are humble. But in the same way, we take pride that God is our Father. So the next reason why to worship God is in appropriate recognition of his work as creator. So the first reason, know that the Lord, he is God. Second reason, it is he who has made us and not we ourselves. So in recognition that he is the creator. So the idea that we could make ourselves is illogical. We should worship him, the one who has made us. Every created thing, therefore, is a proof of the existence of God. When we look around us to the whole creation, the creation in itself testifies that there is God. The immensity of the universe is an illustration of the greatness of his power. But under the new covenant, we are created again. So he's our creator, not only because we're created as human beings, but we are recreated again in the baptism. The believer has a second and a greater reason for praise God, because he is new creation in Jesus Christ. The person that's born from parents dies in baptism. And then we are recreated again. We are born again in baptism. He has made us. Here he also talks about the Lord Jesus as I explained. Whom the Jews assumed not to be God. And crucified him. That's why he said, know that the Lord, he is God. St. Augustine says, think not meanly of that Lord. Don't be mean. Don't think meanly about him. For though, he's speaking to the Jews, for though you crucified him, you scourged him, you spat upon him, you crowned him with thorns, clad him in a robe of scorn, hung him on a tree, pierced him with nails, smote him with Elans set guards at his sepulchre. But in spite of all what you did, know that he is God. He is God. All things were made through him, 
through Jesus, through the Son. And without Him, without the Son, nothing was made that was made. In the Divine Liturgy, when Abuna says, meet and write, he says, by whom all things were created, visible and invisible. As we read in Isaiah 43, verse 6 and 7, Bring my sons from afar, and my daughters from the ends of the earth, everyone who is called by my name, whom I have created for my glory, I have formed him, yes, I have made him. Then another reason, he said, he is God, he is our creator. Then another reason, we are his people and the sheep of his pasture. So here, there is a relationship. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. St. Augustine says, we are his people and the sheep of his pasture. He forsook the 99 and went to search for the one lost. And when he found him, he put him on his shoulders and saved him with his, with his blood. That shepherd fearlessly died for the sake of his flock. He, by whose resurrection, he acquired his flock. Verse 4, enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Be thankful to him and bless his name. Gates before the court. When we enter, there is gates first, then there is a lobby, then the, the court, the church. Because fathers differentiate between enter into his gates and into his courts. So now the psalmist pictures the people of God from all the lands because he called them to come. So all the people from all the lands coming in a procession, entering through the gates, then into the courts of the place of worship. As God's people approach, we should do so with thanksgiving. We come to the church with thanksgiving, recognizing how much God has done for us. And according to St. Ambrose, the invitation to enter into his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise is the description of the baptized as they approach the altar. So the person who is baptized enter with thanksgiving and with praise. Verse 4 also points to the days of Messiah when all sacrifices of the law will be done and will have no place under the new covenant. In the old covenant, they cannot enter into the holy or the holies of the holy unless first stop by the altar of the burnt offering. They must offer a sacrifice. Then he can enter into the altar of incense, the golden altar, and pray and raise incense. That's why in the Old Testament, the house of God was called house of sacrifice. How can read it in the book of Chronicles when Solomon consecrated the temple. So I cannot pray, I cannot offer incense on the golden altar unless I offer a sacrifice. But here in the new covenant, because Jesus offered himself as a sacrifice once for all, 
I can enter with praise and with thanksgiving without any sacrifice because his blood intercedes for me until now. There will no more animal sacrifice but thanksgiving and praise. St. Augustine teaches us that repentance must be the outset of the service of God into whose gates we enter with confession of sins. So the first gate, when I enter into the gates, I enter with a heart of repentance in order to be able to enter the court with praise and thanksgiving. So not attempting to begin in the language of praise till in the advance of our spiritual improvement we penetrate into his courts. So first I enter with repentance, then I can praise the Lord. That's why we read Psalm 50 in the beginning of all our prayers. Even in the raising of incense, traditionally, after Abuna prays the thanksgiving prayer, the congregation should see uh, Psalm 50. And you can see this in uh, some practices, like in the funeral in Laan, um, the water liturgy, you will find after thanksgiving prayer, people say Psalm 50. That is the remnant of an older tradition, Psalm 50, Psalm of Repentance, should be prayed. Other fathers consider the gates the sacraments of the church, especially baptism, because that is the gate into which he's calling the, the Gentiles to come. So what is the gate here is a baptism. The enter, as the entrance of the church, each sacrament is preceded by the confession of sins. As St. Peter said to the people, repent and be baptized. That's the gate. Also, St. Jerome said the gate is Jesus himself because he called himself the door. I am the door. So believing in the Lord Jesus Christ is the gate. Also, the Lord said, I am the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to the Father except me. So he is the gate to believe in him. St. Jerome also said the gates can be the apostles and other holy teachers, his messengers, because the apostles bring people to God, by whom, therefore, they enter into him, and making confession first and renunciation of all their sins in the time of their ignorance. So the gates here are the apostles who called us. We, for example, in Egypt, we believed in Jesus Christ through St. Mark. So St. Mark, he is the gate that through him we believed in Jesus, through him we were baptized, through him we entered into his courts. But here I want you to notice something beautiful here. Under the new covenant, not only are the gates and courts are open, but even the way to the holy of the holies is widely open. In the fraction of the bright Saturday, there is an important theological sentence that many of us don't pay attention. In this fraction we say about the Lord Jesus Christ, he ascended and entered into the holy of the holies 
the place into which no one with human nature can enter. And then the fraction said, and he became our preceder. He prepared the way for us. So here actually, the holy of the holies in heaven, no one with human nature can enter. But the Lord Jesus Christ, he entered with his humanity because his humanity never separated from his divinity. And when we are united to him, now we have access into the Holy of the Holies. So under the new covenant, the court here is not just the church, but we have access into the Holy of the Holies. As St. Paul explained beautifully, in Hebrews chapter 10. Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter into the holiest, by that is the place in which no one with human nature can enter. But now through Jesus, the door, the gate, we can enter into the courts by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he, the Lord Jesus, consecrated for us through the veil that is his flesh. So under the new covenant, not only are the gates and courts are open, but even the way to the holy of the holies is widely open. St. Augustine says, think not that you faint in praising him. Don't get bored in praising him. Because your praise of him is like food. The more you praise him, the more you acquire strength. And he whom you praise becomes the more sweet. So don't faint in praising him. Thanksgiving and praise are right in recognition of God's goodness. As we read in verse 5. Why we praise him? For the Lord is good. So we praise him because he is good. He is good in his plans. He is good in his grace. He is good in his forgiveness. He is good in his covenant. He is good in every aspect of his being. He is not a being of mere power. He is not merely the creator. But he is benevolent, compassionate, and is therefore worthy of praise. That's why he said, for he is good, and his mercy is everlasting. To have a powerful God, but he is not using this power to suppress or oppress us. Rather, to be merciful and compassionate on us and to save us. His mercy is everlasting, and his truth endures to all generations, not only to one generation, but to all generations. That's why this short psalm ends with God's unending mercy and truth. Truth and mercy kiss each other. Truth is about what's right, but mercy is about what's good. Sometimes, some people when make a decision, they think about what's right only. They don't pay attention to what's good. And some people make their decision about what's good, not what's right. 
For example, if you are a manager and you want to discipline or to fire an employee, if you are thinking about what's right, you will fire him if he made a major mistake. If you think about what's good, you may consider other discipline because he has a family and he needs the job, etc., etc. But to combine truth and mercy together, that's what God is. That's why we say in the book of Psalms, truth and mercy has kissed each other. His truth is full of mercy and his mercy is full of truth. That's why he said, his mercy is everlasting and his truth endures to all generations. So these are everlasting reasons to give thanks and praise to God. As his nature is eternal, so his mercy is eternal, arising from his goodness and must be everlasting. Whatsoever he has promised must be fulfilled. And his truth endures to all generations because the promise he made to the patriarch Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, he fulfilled in their descendant by the incarnation, by coming in person, no longer in a symbol, in a type, or prophecy. Because his words shall never pass away, as the Lord said, heaven and earth will pass away, but not a dot or a tittle from my, my words will pass away. His mercy is everlasting. He will not stop being merciful. He will never stop being merciful. According to St. Augustine, it's because he keeps to the uttermost in this world and the next, the promise he has given to his disciples of bestowing everlasting blessedness. He promised to bestow blessedness over us here and in the life to come. He is the good shepherd that has laid his life down for the sheep. He is a good Samaritan that pours in the wine and oil of his love. While he was on earth, the Lord Jesus went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil. That's why when we come to worship him, we worship him with gladness, with thankfulness, with joy, with cheerfulness. This concludes Psalm 100. Glory be to God forever and ever. Amen.